Next Chapter Podcasts. Welcome again. This is How I Got Greenlit. For Alex Collegian, I'm Ryan Gibson. As a simple reminder, just off the top of the show, please follow us on TikTok, Instagram, X. Love all of our awesome posts. And please rate the show wherever you listen to this podcast. Five stars. Today we are joined by Paul Rice, a personal friend of mine. Paul is an artist, production designer by trade, one of his trades. He has worked his magic on projects like Darren Aronofsky's Noah, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man franchise, and a personal favorite across the universe. He's also worked on the critically acclaimed show Reservation Dogs on FX, and if you remember it, The Tick, which was hilarious. Currently, he's working on a new installation at the New York Museum of Modern Art. Paul represents everything that How I Got Greenland is about. Now, Paul Rice. Hey everybody, it's How I Got Greenlit. Hi guys, welcome to the episode. We have Paul Rice here. Hello. What do you like to go by, Paul? Do you like to go by production designer? Do you like to go by just artist in general? You no, know, I, I gotta really, I gotta really throw it out there. What I really do is I'm gonna go by Kierkegaard. <laughs> to name me is to negate me. By saying I'm one thing, it means I can't be another. So like um, I'll, I'll just go with uh, that guy. Okay, the guy, the man, the the man, the myth, the legend. Uh, you know, I, I seem to like. Uh, I'm more of a chameleon. Like I. I the best way to like, I like to put it is like, I like to make cool shit with cool people. Uh, yeah. So like, you know, production design is great. I, I really work. I play well with others. Production design is like really, I don't know why people really want to do it. Personally. You don't want to be in a, you don't want to be pigeonholed either. Well, I, I just, I just think I have a lot to offer to a different factors, but production design, I really do like, I mean, it's, a, it's funny. It's the one thing I've, I think I've been like after that I can't quite grasp where all the other ones come more naturally. I think, uh, I, th- I think uh, I think I, I have a lot, lot more to learn within production design. I, I, ca- I came up through like a, an art department, a, like sort of actual fine arts background. And then when I moved to L.A., I was like, you know, I, I got really I worked with uh, Mark Friedberg, who did a lot of like he actually ended up doing Noah, which I worked on or uh, Life Aquatic. Uh, I mean, like a, a long string of things. Um, wow, know, those are radically different looking movies. It's well, the same I mean, production designer, huh? For Mark Friedberg, a lot. There's a you can look. There's a long list of like Adam Stockhausen came under the tutelage of 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 uh, Mark Friedberg, who went on to work. Now Adam works with like Wes Anderson, Alex Dijerlando, who went on to do like his big breakout was uh, Beast of the Southern Wild. So I, I really only have a good knowledge of people and friendly folks to like give my production line background. Can you tell us just for the folks back home, how, would, what is a production designer? A corraler. I think it really depends on what level you're at. I've really learned like that, per, that term production design changes as according to the heights. I think, you know, when you're on a, like a lower budget, you know, especially when you're on non-union, let's say music video, you're basically like in charge of everything, like what's really being seen. I think when you get up to a higher level, like let's say you're going to do a long show, you're more, I think more of a CEO at that point, yeah. you know, it, it, it cause early on, like under like the lower budgets under like two to three, you're, you're, you're just boots on the ground as well. It's like grab whatever. So I, I think it changes. Um, design is an interesting thing to put towards it. I think a lot of um, 
you know, when you do a lot of location shoots, yeah, I think design is a very, I think actually art director is a bit more appropriate, but I'll take production designer because it sounds better. But, you know, because a lot of times you're just, well, you're, what are you doing on a location? You're just re-swapping. I mean, you, there are people who do, you know, you can do an incredible changeover, but you're not necessarily, I think, production designer. Like for me, I like to build things. So I, I would want to start with a world. I, I, my ideal is world building. If we could do world building, be great. Well, let me uh, just a personal subjective. I remember reading that. It sounds like a very cool but very amorphous title, right? You read it Correct. on the screen. It's like a producer. Hey, yeah, what's yeah. It, it's right, right, exactly. It's a, it's a catch-all. I remember I was a big when I was a kid. I was a fan of Miami Vice. That show, Miami oh, Vice. Yes. And it's very much known for its look and feel, right? And and there was this guy, Mel Bourne. And first up, first of all, I thought, what a flex. Your name is like the name of a town, right? right. Mel Bourne. <laughs> and, uh, but the, the, it was the first time I became aware of like, this show looks different, right? So is Mr. Bourne, and I don't know what they did on that set, but let's say you were him or you were doing a show like that. Is, is he in charge of all, all that? explosion of color like does wardrobe report to him as it affects like the clashing of the car and the wall and the furniture or like where are the lines you know well that's always i think it, it's per production is where the lines are drawn i think it really depends on uh, a lot of times for me it's a top down like your producer your director like how much they want to collaborate or yeah you know it, i think it depends like sometimes as a like my favorite directors are the ones who are collaborators who are like hey i have this vision I brought in really great people and now I'm going to actually let you do what you do and bring something to me that I didn't see before. Then you have the other type of director who's like, I have a shopping list. I've already done all my, like all, all my research. Here's a 79 page lookbook. Yes. Do this. So, so, yeah. it, it, so I think it, you have different approaches. Like at that point, you know, it, with the, with what we were saying with the shopping list, you're really just uh, establishing a really creative catalog. Yeah, you know, you're. So I, I think you're an artistic filter, whereas like if you're a, with the other one, the other mindset of like let's create this together. I think then you become. For me, I think you become more of a designer because you're actually in. in you're actually collaborating on what. What does this look like? Like you're you know like your miami vice what like let's go like we're thinking this for this color match and then you have your costume and then at the best everybody's in the same room at the table going hey that's a good idea well there was a famous edict that michael mann i guess he was you know went to miami beach at that time and was affected by the vibe of it and he actually said to all of the key departments no earth tones oh interesting right? Pastels, yeah. no primaries. Yeah. So once you set that up, then you're just kind of, it's a good capsule. It's just everybody, it just kind of trickles through the lighting gels and the, and the wall colors and the, what paint and whatever. So would you, in, in your ideal situation, are you more of a, the wizard of all things when you're building a set from scratch and it's completely uh, bespoke to your uh, uh, imagination as directed by the director? Or do you like a do you come in early on a on a scout and go, ooh, I could really make this ours, guys? Like, I I think we should take this restaurant over that one because I could do this and this and this. and they go, oh shit, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, it's when I'm at, I guess at my best at that. It's it's sort of bringing something that wasn't foreseen, you know, sort of a, a new take on how it looks. Um, and I think you know, hopefully. 
I mean, in that creative process, it's like, I mean, it can be akin to like that music making of like when you're kind of vibing with the script, with the director, I think it lends towards like walking into that space. And and, and for me, it's like, it's like my gut's pretty good. Like I think for, I, I think my advantage of, of coming into this industry is having many years in the fine arts business or in fine arts and like kind of New York city, like going to museums. So I, I feel that I trust my aesthetic and then you have to like, like pepper in like popular culture to really understand filmmaking and film process. So I, I, I'll, I will, I'm not shy to speak my mind. Does that carry over? Like while I was rewatching drive and of course, what, what are you taking by with drive? Drive is super affected by the Miami vice, the Michael man, the heat. There's a hundred thousand streets in this city. So you just moved to LA? No, I've been here for a while. I got this sweet job coming up. Shut your mouth. I'll kick your teeth down your throat and I'll shut it for you. Even the font choice in the titles. Is that something that you go, you know what, guys? Uh, this might be something or is that completely director says hey i want this to be part of the aesthetic i mean again yeah i've had or a it's, a, it's a bleeding line you might yeah, say hey it is how to go to both ways like a lot of times like you know they'll like a, a certain director will have everything kind of figured out in their mind and they bring it to me and i'm just sort of you know a, a appropriate and adding more yeah and yeah. and i mean again uh, you know you have some like with the born identity you know like the the production designer and the director would go city to city and kind of figure out their script i mean that's that's, that's what fair. i mean so you're there at the scouts then you're saying hey man oh absolutely yeah absolutely it's okay of- okay so you're you're an early hire you're one of the first right i mean usually like you know they, they always try i, I mean I, i'm speaking ryan knows this the best i mean you you deal with that on a day to the basis who comes in when, but like, like a lot of times I get tr- brought in with, by, with a DP, like how I got on, how I met Ryan was like with Michael Lloyd as a DP. And then sometimes I get brought in with directors. I mean, I guess uh, uh, for good or bad, I think I'm more of a director DP production designer than a producer's production designer. I don't know. Not anymore. <laughs> Not anymore, Paul. I don't Not know. This. I don't know. Not so- after this, baby. Oh. Hey, um, so, so Paul, you know, you have so many disciplines that we've talked about. Just getting to know you, like fine arts. You, I know you do. Uh, I so know you're, you're a in painter, the middle a sculptor. Of a- what, when you say fine arts, are you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, 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 my father was a sculptor. Um, had a parade float business in Memphis. So I grew oh, up, wow. grew up like That's building awesome. parade floats. And then I rebelled against him and went to school for painting. I love the fuck you dad still like persist even with an artist. Oh, even kid, with an right? Yeah. It's like, you know, <laughs> but I, I, the I, real fuck you is if you were a CPA, dude, you didn't really quite rebel. You kind of, no, yeah, that, 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 if Brian knows me best, I, I, I am not, I, I'm very good at hiring people that can make me look good. Right. With my budget. So, yeah, it's like I can right. handle it. I can talk about it. But I was not meant for uh, organization. So, <laughs> so you grew up you grew up in uh, Memphis, Tennessee. Is that correct? Yes. Paul? Yeah. And did. and did you have, an, a, you know, usually our first uh, act of our show is talking about our childhoods, you know, right. growing up and and and, and our how, arrest records. Ryan, Come on. Right. 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 And so how like yeah. how was it growing up in Memphis, Tennessee and and figuring out you know, that you was, did, did you have a love for, you know, the theater or, you know, movie houses or. I mean, the best, my parents, it, it, uh, 
My parents both went to University of Arkansas. I was born in Arkansas, many, many generations deep in Arkansas. And they went to University of uh, Fayetteville. And my dad um, grew up on a dairy farm, ended up selling off the cow to get the motorcycle and went off to college kind of thing in the 60s. But he double majored in English Lit and Theater. And then my mom was in costume. So they met uh, at a cast party and got married three weeks later. So then, well, that's yeah. awfully sorry. That, this might get me in trouble, but that was awfully Arkansas of them. Yeah. They, well, they, they, actually, no, the funny thing is they, they, they had to drive. My mom had a, uh, at that time had a car in gear. They had to drive over to Oklahoma because they didn't have a wait time for uh, your marriage. Right. License. Right. Like, literally like the classic kept the car idling because it was right. not going to restart when it got married. And so, um, right. yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's funny growing up in Tennessee was, a trip, you know, now that from a distance, you know, and, and luckily um, at the time in Memphis, my dad had this parade float factory. So I was in, in, in Memphis, which is a really small, big town. Um, and then uh, I happened to, at that time, there was a arts magnet school, central high school that um, this one teacher was amazing. So I drove like 80 miles a day to go to high school. It's a, by the way, Memphis, was it rough back then? Have you, so the best way to describe it is, have you seen Jim Jarmusch's Mystery Train? Yes. yes. You have, go back and watch it. That was made in 1989. I was 15 years old. And like skateboarding downtown, Memphis was rough, man. It was a backwater. Because like, after uh, Martin Luther King was shot in the late 60s, that you had the, the sort of white exodus. They all like mm. like – just everybody went white out. flight, the white flight. And so everybody went out of Memphis and, and went to all the kind of rim areas. And so Memphis, like downtown, especially at that time had a really rough and tumble backwater, but as a kind of punk rock hippie skateboarder guy, like there was a lot of banded buildings. We did a lot of like going up to the 30th floor of, of spaces. So it was like, it was a uh, high, like, urban decay, the friend of the teenager. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So it kind of fit in and you know, we luckily the arts program at that, this high school I went to um, myself, I got scholarship to go to Pratt in New York and uh, my buddy who I got, who I painted with now is a, uh, is at the Metropolitan Museum and Guggenheim and all that kind of stuff. So there's a whole did, kind did of, did you have a portfolio where you, did you know to, Oh yeah. The body of work. Is that what got you into Pratt? It was pretty serious. Like it was, it was, we had to basically uh, have a concentration our junior and senior year where every week, let's say you pick um, a still life every week, you'd have to have a still life painting done outside every Monday. Like, so, you know, by the time I graduated from high school, I had almost like 300 oil paintings like all done. So like just, uh, I, I think, you know, the sort of discipline I really enjoyed and went off to New York city, you know, went through, went through art school. And then I happened to kind of, the, the you know, you kind of wind up in through theater in New York cause you know, Broadway's really huge fabrication, scenic and kind of arts in there. But, um, you know, when I, when I first saw my first film I was on was, uh, across the universe, wow. which was the Julie Taymor film. That's a fun one. Yeah, sure. Is there anybody going to listen to my story? All about the girl who came to stay. As a stranger to our shores, the least I can do is offer you some Ivy League hospitality. 
Yeah, my title was awesome. I was Puppet Master on a Julie Taymor film. I mean, like, what's better that's than that? That's Ryan's title on the show. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what I think that's what is a line producer is AKA <laughs> Puppet Master. Like your your strings are all connected, but they have to kind of like you pull and push and. Yeah, but I, I, I would say more of the Puppet Master from the 1980 film where, you know, <laughs> puppets are kind of screwed up. and well, oh, you mean No, you mean Magic, the uh, 1978's Magic with Anthony Hopkins. Oh, right, right. Um, so uh, does your father still have his, uh, his business? Does he still no, make clothes? No, that, that, you know, like as everything Memphis, it, all good things die in the mud. So it just... It, had run where so he opens a uh it's not it's not really common for someone to say you know what i'm gonna make a uh i mean unless you're in pasadena i guess right i was gonna say it's a very specialized like like did he a big parade culture in uh in well Tennessee? so weirdly enough that he answered a uh, uh, well, at that time, there was no emails, right? There was no internet. At that time, he, he answered, a, it was a classified ad. It said, be a dream maker. So apparently, this building, my dad, he, he applied for the job to be a float maker. There wow. was a, the in the late, like Memphis had its own kind of Mardi Gras thing that, because cotton was king. There was a there was a whole socialite thing called King Cotton. And they would like elect right. the... So the debutante balls had various floats. There was all this culture of parties. Yeah, correct. And and like they in 1948, the the building my dad ended up he ended up taking over the business as well because it was crumbling and falling as things are. But it was a 55,000 square foot warehouse that was built 1948 specifically to build parade floats. Wow. So in this in this space. You had like it, not everything was thrown away. It was like huge. You know, it was the size of a city block. And they, there was stuff from the thirties in there. There was like nice. stuff from the forties. And so, you know, as a kid, Guys, growing we up, should film in this, just find that. It's let's gone, just, man. Let's it's write gone. a fucking script just set in an abandoned float factory. It was amazing. Well, we did, we actually in the, in a, sounds like a Joker hideout. Our, our, our weekends, like we would actually go in and play hide and drop acid and play hide and go seek. <laughs> <laughs> We would all like about 15 of us would go in and lock the door and we would like turn on pipers at the gates of dawn, you know, pink Floyd. Oh God, I love it. I love it. It was good. I thought you were going to say like a haunted calliope in the corner. Bom, bam, bam, bam. I mean, you know, that would have been better. We weren't that hip, you know. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> no, you're pretty hip with Piper at the Gates of Dawn. So um, that, was did, it flower? Was he really like? Uh, only rose. See, this is a, this is a very like. That's a misnomer. Okay. It's, a, it's completely only the Rose Bowl or when you go to Venice in Italy. But okay. ever than, other than that, like there, no one's putting like the flowers or the kind of flower stuff. by flower. <laughs> yeah, we had the, we, it was very southern. It was like floral sheeting that you brought in. I mean, it was we did like everything. Well, cotton. I mean, who knows, right? It could be. Well, like, you know, at that at that time, it was kind of like cotton was was dying out. Like soybeans were taking over, and mm, you know, it was that interesting. Kind of like, it, and that sort of era of of what that was was changing. You know, to I mean like this, there was uh, it, it was a. Uh, it was unfortunate because, like, no one probably except for myself and a few other people know that Memphis actually had a, a parade float tradition that for a time was pretty similar to uh, New Orleans because, you know, we're right yeah. up the river. But, you know, stuff slips away. Did they tear wow. the building? Is the, bu the building is gone? No. So, so funny enough, because it was a city building, um, they put in a, like a cool little kind of trolley, like a la like San Francisco 
and they so they took the building and my dad had to move to the south side of town and then just it was like mismanaged because he was it was basically a umbrella organization that was taking it that was taking care of it it was like his business but they would deal with inner city and then as soon as you get to memphis city politics somebody was embezzling this was done, you know. Finally, it was. It just. It kind of. It kind of just done. Like it was done. I, I say. I say. That's when the foghorn leghorn mare comes in, takes <laughs> yeah. payoffs. Yeah. So Did um, you. So you don't. You don't. You. You know, as a young skateboard punk, or as you, you're calling yourself very lovingly, did did you have any connection to going to the theater? I. I feel like you didn't. You, you well, where did fine art so come to a acid eating skateboard? <laughs> it seemed like you spent a lot of time in movie theaters, right? I mean, or or in museums for that matter. I, I like think I, well, it's funny because when I went to Pratt at that time, they don't have any more. When I when they had a, a you must have been you must have been the hit at Pratt. I tell you that. Oh right man, now. it was man, but it was look. You got to understand, like Pratt was at its lowest point in its history when I went there oh. in 1992, <laughs> it was like Brooklyn was still Dinkins, you know, Mur- Myrtle <laughs> Avenue was still Murder Avenue. Like it yeah, was, it I was, was there. I was yeah. There, I mean, like, we, I yeah. remember like a stray bullet went through one of the, uh, the dorms, like from one of the projects, you know? So it was before the Renaissance of, of Brooklyn, you know? So it was a really, right. well, that, it was a really cool thing to see. That but, was before, but at that well, time. Uh, so more urban decay, just, just like, yeah, uh, I, I love decay. Um, but Pratt had a, a, a like a, an old movie theater they don't have anymore mm. they took it out but at that time for the four years i was there they actually had a really awesome like film like a revival house yeah like, like you a, could yeah. go anyway we watch like you know from total art house like kiwana squatsy and like you know nice uh, uh, a lot, lot of like check puppet you know just random yeah stuff. and so yeah like you know, Ryan's you know, early like, work and at that time like the david lynch was still like vibrant you know he, he was he had still like I mean, I did. Yes. Early 90s was an interesting time. They had like Bad Lieutenant was shot in New York in the early 90s. Like it still just had like a Abel Ferrara. Like it was still kind of dangerous. Like uh, I watched After Hours the other night um, shot in like mid to late 80s Soho. Oh, yeah. Soho was a shithole. I, like, well, you're I mean, like, oh, it, it's dangerous. Don't go to Soho after midnight. I'm like, what? You can eat like fucking eggs off the sidewalk in Soho. Oh, now, yeah. Right? Now, I mean, and it was interesting to watch it grow because I moved to this nowhere space in 95 called Bushwick, which. Yeah, became, Bushwick. Yeah, well, which yeah. Is I now, mean, like, now it's cutting edge, right? It, but at that time, we were like, um, I was, we, you know, it was me and like. Uh, four of us, the four other folks from NYU in their theater program, uh, we had a band, like, like found a 1200, like, uh, we found a 4,000 square foot place for 1200 bucks. Nice. Like, what, what kind of music? Oh, hit, like crazy psychedelic punk theater, you know, like it, it was like three people from like art school and four people from experimental theater wing of, of NYU. Oh, nice. So was it like uh, Peter Gabriel Genesis fucking dress up and shit? I mean, it, that that's put it a little tighter. We kind of flowed into like all kinds of freakdom, a little bit of like, I'd say, you know, from noise to funk to, you know, we, we were kind you, of the smile on your face. If you, if you're not, if you're listening to this show and you can't, you're not watching the visuals of it. Paul's smile on his face. Remnant thinking about his musical <laughs> di- is gigantic. It's it's a pleasure to see. It was good. We played it like CBGBs and the, the cooler. I mean, everybody played at CBGBs, but like nice. it was like it was like you know it's one of those things when you want to talk about urban decay. How about the bathroom at CBGBs? Oh, 
dude, I, I actually, I, I have a story of shutting down the whole place. Like, and I was totally sober. I just, I, I like <laughs> passed out from, a. I had uh, from not having enough electrolytes and they had to hold it was so and they kept wondering like what I was on. Oh I was like I was God. literally like the one time I was probably there that I wasn't on. You're just like a banana if you please. <laughs> um, yeah, that's was, great, man. Yeah, so you know, you lived it. Like it sounds like you go to you, you you try to squeeze the juice out of wherever you're living, whatever's left in it, right? Like it's been fun. I mean, latter like, day downtown New York, and I mean, CB's is long fucking gone. I oh, think it's man, a fucking I mean, like Jones or something. I or mean, like a you know, like to see the to see the New York chain. I mean, there, there's a payoff. Like for for safety, you you pay for that dinginess that is gone. I mean, you're yeah. also young and you don't give a shit. You think you're going to yeah, live mean, forever, right? It is true. I mean, New York is for the young and rich. I mean, like I go there a lot, but like yeah. if you're going to really live a, like we'll say comfortable life, you need to make a lot more money than I make now. No, there's no comfort there. It's either luxury or fucking poverty. <laughs> it is. It is. Uh, it's, yeah. it's, it's funny how, you know, when I, the first time I went to New York and I stayed, uh, I was working on a, well, I'd been there before, but the first time I was actually able to live there, and I was uh, I got a place in Park Slope, and the woman who had that place had the brownstone for like you know thirty or forty years, and I rented it from her, and she, um, I think she owned the building next door too. And she was like, oh, back in the day, there used to be like a police gun turret on the corner. And, and like, and <laughs> like then. Like Park Slope, no less, which is like super high end. Yeah, Florida it's Apache, super high end. But she was like, yeah. it was it was like super dangerous. And then, yeah. uh, and consequently, I got another place uh, on the east side, Lower East, not Lower East Side, but the East Village in New York. Right. And the owner said, oh, back in the day, he had been there for a long time. And back in the day, you know, that's where people went to score. Uh, yeah. you know, there's shit, but you had, yeah, like what, you, get shot, a, right? you get shot in the yeah. face. Like yeah. if you were I mean, it, it past was, a, you score past B, you get stabbed. Oh, yeah, past like, C, they never see you city, man. Like you would just now it, yeah. it, it, it was cool. I mean, I, I was like, you don't, again, I, I don't think you really know the time you grew up in until you're past it. And it kind of the 20, oh, that's right. Yeah, you look but, back, you know, yeah. it, it was a cool time to be in New York to, to, it was, it was still cheap. Well, it was a great time for an artist is yeah. right. So you could find a loft, you could be not that far out. You could, uh, experience all the museums, but also feel like you're cutting edge and see downtown stuff. And I mean, I, I graduated from college paying 170 bucks rent. Right. Yeah, <laughs> in right. New York. In New York City, and, yeah. and it was, and I was gonna say it was before, it was before like cell phones and everything, you know. So you, you're, uh, you, you, we only had like one phone line coming in. We had electric and gas, and that's what you paid every month, you know. We didn't have nine one one. We just had a flare gun. <laughs> we had a flare gun. <laughs> they wouldn't, have, they wouldn't have shown up, man, because on on my block they would. It was so abandoned at that time. Bushwick was so was like t-shirts factories and abandoned they would bring cars in to burn them out to get all like the (laughs) copper wire i'm not kidding like once a week we'd have a burning car on the street yeah it was i remember my first student film we shot middle of the night in an alley in soho and there was it was like a it was like a fight scene with a you know a fake gun so i'm carrying the fake gun off the speaking of you know sets and i'm i'm carrying the fake gun off the set we're fucking beat it's five in the morning from behind me, I hear freeze motherfucker. <laughs> and, um, and, and for some reason I was present enough to know, Oh, I have a gun in my hand. Oh shit. And I'm like, it's a fake gun. I don't care. Get yeah. on your fucking knees. <laughs> Drop the weapon. 
So I dropped the weapon, slowly put my hands up, slowly turn around. It's like, it's a movie. Right. They're yeah. like, and the guy was like, kid, yeah. you were almost dead. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's, it's prettier now. Like <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's the thing. It, it, you you win something, you lose something. I agree. Yeah. I'd like to take a moment to take a break from our conversation with Paul and go back to season one of How I Got Greenlit. In this clip, we're going to hear from producer Evan Ostrowski, where he talks about the chaotic origins of his first movie, Eli Ross Cabin Fever. Take it away. So we go to North Carolina with one quarter of the budget committed from our producing partner, Sam Freilich. And we were in talks with multiple parties to close the rest of it and none of it closed. And we started shooting with no money because we had blown through the 250 grand that Sam had committed. And then it got hairy. You know, to Eli's credit, Eli had been working as David Lynch's assistant we had attached David as an executive producer to the film, um, which most people don't know because he's not in the credits anywhere. David had said to Eli before we had all left, he had said, listen, you know, I can't do a David imitation. I'm sure everybody else can, but he had said, whatever happens, remember whatever happens, whatever happens, man, just remember it's your job to only think about what's going on in those 35 millimeter frames. Like mm-hmm. ignore the noise and just mm-hmm. make that the best you can. And it was great advice because there was a lot of noise. I mean, we were, we were, we didn't have money for payroll. We were shooting on short ends. It, you know, it was, it was a lot. Make sure to go back and listen to this and all the old episodes of How I Got Greenlit. Now let's get back to our conversation with Paul. Well, well, we'll take us through it. So, uh, director calls you, says, "Hey, man, I'm making a movie. Right, you want to come down and talk about it? You read the script yes, first, absolutely, and then do pictures appear in your head when you read exterior? Yeah, you know, or like whatever. It, yeah, it does. I mean, I, I think, I mean, luckily, I grew up reading a lot of books. I like, I love reading. I think it, it, it's so. I'm very good at pictures in the mind. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, I, I sort of just I, what I try to do is just get my take on it. I, I, sometimes like a director will send their like lookbook or what they've done to pitch it. So it kind of puts me in that frame of mind, but I, I you know, I like to look, think about it without having any exterior, any input. I like it. And then I go in and sit with them and like here, you know, here, like who, what, you know, whatever pitch it is, it, it is, it's going on. But, um, you know, I, I, so at best, I can bring something they hadn't seen before. You know, uh, that's my favorite. Right. By the way, Paul, speaking of Across the Universe, is that one of the blue heads back there from Across yeah, the Universe? Yeah, man. It is, I see, which is, um, I got to say, I made an extra when I did that. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Was Tamor aware of the... No, she's probably dying for it. She's probably wondering where it's at. Excuse me, the technical turn is blue meanie. Yeah! Wow, that's fantastic. That's a blue meanie, I love it. That movie, uh, if anyone's ever seen, it, was that filmed entirely in New York? Yeah, the whole thing was in New York. 
so it was it was New York uh, film studio shot for Liverpool. Is that like no? They actually went no. They, they did go to Liverpool for they right for some pickups. Went, yeah, for to get the locations, they went to Liverpool for that. If anybody's ever seen that movie, and I actually was lucky enough to see that movie in the theaters, uh, it's it's kind of an artistic trip. I mean, it's a trip. Yeah, that it's kind a of trip. a great one to be your first movie because it is so psychedelic and oh, colorful and artistic it's it's yeah how did you how did that come about it's not like you got art director on a talky drama boring whatever like you know but I, you know well it was weird it, i came about because uh, a, a good buddy of mine that i work with a lot andrew benepe they were trying to keep that the, there was the whole puppets that you know there's there was a lot of puppets and stuff that were in it. You know, there was the the march that they were doing this bread and puppet stuff for. Then we had like the psychedelic when they all dropped acid and went in. And they were they wanted to keep it within this because in New York the the uh, the unions are much different. Like you know, you're, if you're oh, a scenic, yeah. if you're a scenic artist in New York, you can do I can go from like sculpting to painting to patching that hole on the wall, and it's all the same, all the same rate. They're, you know, New York in LA, they broke it all up into these different kind of factors. They wanted to keep the puppets in the scenic union. So I, I through a friend of mine who had just moved out, I, I, I used to do a lot of puppets for Broadway and stuff. So I had just, I was, uh, had just joined the scenic artist union. I wonder if and, that avoids SAG. I wonder if that's why they no, did that. Well, no, because it not who's operating, who's making them. Oh, they okay. Were, the produ- right. the actual physical production. Because right, 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 a lot right. of times nowadays, since I just did a puppet movie within the last year right. or two. It was the Muppets Take Acid, right? I would love it. Yeah, man. <laughs> so wait, so puppets. Let's 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 split off here a little bit. So uh was Jim Henson an early influence? Like what what um, how, what was the what was the jump from fine arts to film? It sounds like a puppet would be because it's a piece of art you know, that I had comes to, it, to life. Right? I, I blame I mean I, I I blame a early girlfriend and a another friend I started working for. Like uh, uh my my I had a girlfriend that went to uh the experimental theater wing at, at NYU and then um and we ended up doing a show together where we'd made these masks, made these puppets. And cause I was at Pratt, the good thing about when you're at a, a art school is that you have a massive facility that you can rely on. Mm-hmm. Like, so, you know, metal shops and wood shops. And yes, stuff. Yes. So I, you know, it just was fine. You know, I, without knowing it, I really enjoyed, uh, you know, uh, the, the theater of make of, of performance was fun. So I, I yeah. just along the way, I ended up like meeting folks and, uh, I mean, I always like the Dark Crystal, always like puppets, but until I, we started making them, like I, we made a bunch for Broadway. I actually, was on Broadway as a puppeteer. I have to say. Well, that was speaking of Julie Taymor. I mean, she sort of made her bones on taking puppets into this amazing right right realm. That her Lion King. I mean, people still talk about it. it's still it's still playing. I think her interpretation. I actually I took my kids inside. Yeah, yeah, my kids. Inside. So I've actually made. 18 Pumbas for around the world. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Yeah. You know what else was going on in the sort of Dinkins, New York was Blue Man Group was oh, yeah, a small huge. downtown. They made a whole school. They had like, you know, when their kids right? got in school, they, they, they made a whole like kind of educational thing like within their Blue yeah, Man Group. Yeah, the world. Blue Man Group. That's a good example of puppets gone awry, right? They sort of like, it's it's stagecraft and performance mixed in, right? It's kind of got that. Yeah, it, it's, it was fun. I mean, you know, I, 
it ended up being like I, I the, a lot of times I ended up making puppets. And then when you're yeah. making the puppets, you generally are playing with it while you're making it. And oddly, as much as you try not to, you end up making it for yourself because you're there playing with it. So then, you know, I, I you know, the ham I am, uh, I really enjoyed the kind of interface of these things. I mean, so I, and funny enough through it, like I have made a side career as a SAG puppeteer, you know, I only have like, only have it. I think I only have a couple more years and I'll be vested in my, full retire like retirement package as a as a puppeteer so it's i mean it's it's, it's random it's it's uh it's really fun because I mean, because when you're like a production designer or you're oh you're thinking about so many thousands of things and you know what what, what you're a manager up and what's you're not a, you're, you're not managing your your creative yeah. you're like but and then when you go to like performance like it's all you have to do is whatever is right there it's I am the right arm of Jabba. Oh, yeah. solo! Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah. Like I actually have a, I have a full, uh, I have a team of lobster puppets ready to go right now. If you want, <laughs> I do. I, I've, I've done them in three shows. We did that. We no. did it. I puppeteered on the tick, um, and then oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. With, with Max Sherwood, who was the prop master in the second season, we ended up that there was like a whole team. We had a team of eight lobsters that could like drive a car it was kind of they, they, you could like one was for holding it was like hold dollars stuff and stuff yeah so then end up with a i have a team of like photorealistic or like, yeah, like fully like you would you would you would <laughs> like we we did i ended up going on and do like a uh fossey verdon we did like a whole uh lobster race with them and like then, a sequence yeah and then That's we went great. i did uh the politician with them and so I have, I have a, like a specific suitcase a lobster uh like pelican case yeah that like i, I that i'll fly with oh. <laughs> it has like parts and all that stuff <laughs> well wait so would you uh we let's let's try to get back on structure so i i think after pratt you started working in production you, the puppets kind of brought you into film would you say that when was that moment when you're like, holy shit, I'm a filmmaker? Like, wh wh was it Noah? Was it the scale of that? Was it, was it across the universe? Just like, holy shit. Like, no, it was, it was with Michael Lloyd. Michael had written this short film and got it, got our money that we went to Iceland and we were in Iceland shooting a short film for, I think we were like two weeks. We did prep. I had a, we, we had a, a set shop there building stuff before we even got there. And, and that's like, for me, one of my like, favorite moments because you know it was you know we were getting paid to do a short which is amazing here we are in Iceland which is like Iceland's beautiful uh and, and we were doing this piece that I liked and 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 it was really like everybody was there making this it was like that's what I like about like low like more like uh indie film style because everybody's kind of in the pot right everybody's in there making it happen and that's when I was like you know this this I could see it being a viable thing with what I would like to create in, in this element. Now I've been fighting to feel that it's like, you know, getting your first high or something like that. I mean, <laughs> you're chasing the dragon, buddy. You know, because the bigger movies yeah. were, that I worked on and the, 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 were a lot of stress, a lot of like, like really. And it's hard to find that intimacy and that core. Right. A lot of layers, core. a lot of like, Go to yeah. this person, to this person, this person. Yeah. And they, yeah. yeah. And, Especially and, and, when you said as unions start to, 
bifurcate the jobs and oh you can't put that down you can't touch yeah, that was, I, I, am like, I am a big union fan i i, I think in yeah. our industry it is a big protector but there's always you know mm-hmm. of of a lot of things but yeah there's also there's always byproducts of that one yeah two percent that you don't like but yeah that that was when i felt like it was like this is what it should be we're we're in this place we're creating this feeling and it was working and we had these actors that were great. You know, it was like the soup was good, you know. Does it was it like the band experience, like a sort of 1 plus 1 equals 3? Yeah, yeah, the ba- it was it was what I liked about, you know, cuz otherwise like, you know, I went off I went to school for painting, spent a lot of time in a room by myself. Very solo. Work, it is a yeah. solo work and and it's fun. I I, I like that aspect. But if you're going to collaborate or if you're going to be in the collaborative arts, then it, I think it should be collaborative. A lot of times it's a it's a hierarchical we need the X, Y, and Z done and get it done. I have a question for both of you. Do you is there better cohesion, unit cohesion when you're all away from the Los Angeles area, when you're all in a remote location and you're all away from your lives? Do you get along better? Do you work well together? Or does it create more stress? <laughs> a, B, and C. All the, D, all the above. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, I, I, okay. I, it depends on if you like. I think you have to like be a certain uh, persona to like to travel, to like to be in a group, to like you know. But yeah, I mean, I, I find it can you can create the bubble. I mean, that's how I met my wife. We were we were in the, the filming <laughs> bubble. Showman. Yeah, this showman's you know. So yeah, yeah. It, it, I can, yeah, it happens because you know when it works out, it's fun. You know, it, it's summer. Right. It's, it, I mean, when it was funny. Summer we, camp. We did. I, I art directed this one called "Approaching the Unknown." It was the, the same producers that did a Beast of the Southern Wild. They were doing a sci-fi, and we were at Douglas Trumbull's compound. I don't know if you know Douglas Trumbull. He yeah, basically in Massachusetts. You know, all your the entry to Burning uh, the Burning Man. Well, he oh, yes. did 2001. He yeah. did Blade Runner. Exactly. He was an innovator, early, early guy. One of the most amazing, won Oscars, uh, Has directed patents. Brainstorm. He yeah, just passed away a couple yeah. years ago. But so yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we were doing all the all the uh, uh, space travel. It was this space travel to Mars. There was a solo guy going to Mars. Uh, all of all, everything was shot in motion. We, we did all miniatures and did motion capture, like did old school, like literally got the guys from, they were like, if if not out of retirement, but near retirement that was doing all this motion control stuff. Like the John Dykstra camera. It was like, it was like summer show. camp for nerds. We were yeah, like, yeah. we were there for eight, I think eight weeks. And every Friday, Douglas had a little screening room and he'd bring out his archive stuff from 2001 space odyssey and give this kind of lecture it's like wow and then he did like next time he did blade runner and the next time he did so it was like it was like you know i didn't like again i didn't go to school for film but that was my kind of school was like just going holy shit like you know yeah i mean that's that was like summer camp with a master that's like grad school what are you talking about but I, i but the thing is i wasn't a young 22 year old. I was, no. I was an adult. I had my wife and kids on the compound as well. So it kind of changed up the dynamic, you know? Oh yeah. <laughs> right. But I think it brings up a bigger point, which is there are people who survive in this, who have survived in this industry for a long time and you can always learn new stuff every day. Oh man. I, I, a hundred percent. And I think what, what is always, I, I always use the, the, uh, the, the LP, the record, uh, like, 
the disc that has come back in style is like this way of thinking like, you know, when, when digital, you know, we had CDs and digital came in sort of like thinking like that, that long, like records actually like long playing records were dead. And like, now it's like with my son's generation now, like, like video, like a VHS is kind of seen as cool. Like I, a friend of mine's daughter who was 14 wanted, actually wanted a, a TV with a VHS player because they thought it was kind of hip to have like a VHS player. So it's like these, I think what sci-fi always shows, I'm a big sci-fi fan, but what it, always, it never shows that it's not a clean break, right? There's a, there, there's, no, there's, there's this, overlap. This, this overlap yeah. of tumbling effect, like, like 2023, I don't think somebody in 1950 would be imagining that we're still driving cars, you know? Right. Right. As, as, yeah, we were promised flying cars. We were promised. Well, I think um, L, I think LPs sold more. La- like there's been, I think I, re- I was reading, I'm pretty sure I was yeah, reading an article where they said the, back then there was like 25 new pressing plants opened to make LPs this oh, year cool. or over the past yeah. five years. Like they're selling like crazy. You go to any, you go to Target now. They're selling. There's like a there's a bigger space for. Oh, I, yeah, I, I was blown away. Well, that just to speak to your craft. I mean, and we just mentioned Blade Runner. I mean, when you see a film and it says set in 1957, the lazy thing that they do is they just get cars from 1957. When they're really thinking, they do what you do, which is there's a there's a beater from 1938 that's missing like a panel. Right. There's a nice car that the new rich guy drives off the lot that's a 57, but everything else is lived in. And Blade Runner is a good example of that. It's a it's a just a massive art direction of past uh, technology, future yeah, technology, did, all just mushed up. They did that. I think they did that really well in that 70s time frame, but that Star Wars is actually funny enough. My wife is taking my daughter to see. Uh, um, Chicago tonight down in Orange County. So my, my son and I are going to have a Blade Runner. We're seeing Blade Runner and then Blade Runner 2049. So it's, nice. it, it's, a, it's that. So evening. it'll be a fun half night. I like both. But I, I like, I like both. I mean, I, it's hard to watch them back to back. I'll be curious. Well, if you're going to watch a really good back to back, you would do uh, fast times at Ridgemont high followed by big Lebowski. Like that—that's a good back-to-back. Because like Spicoli grows up to be Big Lebowski. That's oh, a, well, I never. That's made a good double wow. hit. Wow, that's interesting. It's a good. <laughs> it's a hot take, though. <laughs> All right. Well, that's the first part of this great conversation with production designer Paul Rice. I hope this conversation with Paul inspires you to follow your own dreams, as he did. That's really what How I Got Greenlit is about: greenlighting yourself. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review the show wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us at How I Got Greenlit on Instagram, TikTok, and X. Feel free to email the show at howigotgreenlit at gmail.com. See you next week for part two of our conversation with Paul. For Alex Collegian, I am Ryan Gibson. Thank you for listening. This has been How I Got Greenlit. Porn, Satan, drugs, therapy. It's not just the list of what I'm up to this weekend. 
I'm comedian Kiki Anderson, and those are just a handful of the taboo topics I've poked and prodded at so far on my podcast, Indecent, the show where we peel at the wallpaper of polite society. Each episode digs into the dark underbelly of our culture to dissect the things we aren't allowed to talk about around the dinner table, featuring conversations with comedians, activists, journalists, academics. They all help me figure out the who, what, and why behind what is and isn't acceptable behavior. Indecent with Kiki Anderson, where NSFW meets LMAO. Next Chapter Podcasts.